A generation lasts 32 years. I thought a generation was about 20, 30 years. It lasts 32 years on average from birth to having the average number of children, 32 years. So a lot happens in 32 years. For example, 32 years ago, it was 1990. And in 1990, people were wearing pagers. If you were really cool, you wore a pager. Iraq invaded Kuwait. And that was 32 years ago. Minimum wage was $3.85 32 years ago. In 1958, so you go 32 years before that, 1958, the Beatles, this is a trivia question for you people who are around, the Beatles were known as by what name? Quarrymen, there we go. And their drummer was named? Pete Best. Oh, you guys are so good. That's 1958. That's 1958. So 32 years from now, it'll be 2054, and we'll be vacationing on Mars, and there'll be robot police officers. I don't know. But one of the things that I, I have always found a little off-putting is the generational mistrust. Have you ever noticed that? We come up with names for generations because there's a little generational mistrust. And I think that's the reason we call people uh, boomers, millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha. Uh, there's a, there's a, a saying for the boomer generation that's disparaging. Does anybody know what it is? Oh yeah, the younger generation knew. You say, okay, boomer, it's kind of sarcastically. But the older generation does it too. They're like, oh, millennials, they're the worst. Or Gen Z, they, all they do is on their, or screenagers, that's all they do. We all, we all talk about generations in this way that's really not very helpful. This is actually nothing new. Uh, way back in the day, all the way tracing back to Aristotle, they were disparaging the next generation. So this is a guy named Anthony Cooper, 7th Earl of Shaftesbury. He was speaking to the House of Commons, February 1843. Today's boys are a fearful multitude of untutored barbarians with dogs at their heels and other evidence of dissolute habits. The girls, they drive coal carts. Can you believe that? They ride astride horses. They drink, they swear, they fight, they smoke, they whistle. Unbelievable. And they care for nobody. The morals of today's children are tenfold worse than the past. And you can just tell, just look at this guy. You can tell this guy was like, those millennials are the worst. I mean, when I looked up who this was, I saw the quote, and then I looked up who this was. I was like, of course he hates the kids these days. That's exactly the kind of face you make when you don't like the next generation. So this is, like I said, this is dating all the way back to Aristotle, hating on the next generation or hating on the previous generation. So if you've ever said kids these days, just remember, you're just like every generation before you. All the generations have done it. If you've ever looked behind you, you've felt the same way. There's always been this, this generational mistrust, disparaging those who have come before and despairing of those who have come behind. I think that's dumb. That's so dumb. I think we need to break a 2,000 or three or 10,000 year old tradition. It's time to break that tradition because it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. It doesn't get anybody anywhere. So we're doing this new series. We're calling it Generations. And one of the things I want us to understand is that God is a God of generations. God is a God of generation. You're part of something that is much bigger and much grander than your little 10 seconds of life in the big scheme of things. God is a God of generations. How many of you had a refrigerator like this one in your garage? Some of you still have it. Yeah, I, some of you still have it in your kitchen, right? What is the great thing about a, a refrigerator like this? They do not die. 
They will cost you a million dollars in electricity, but they will run forever. Some of you have it. You store your, you know, your stuff in the garage and these things. Um, they just don't die. They're incredibly sturdy. They don't break down. They just don't, they don't make them like this anymore, do they? They just don't make them like this anymore. And that is true, and that is by design. There's a, uh, a feature built into a lot of design these days that's called planned obsolescence. Do you know what that means? That means manufacturers make things so they won't last super long to encourage you to go out and buy a new thing. And this isn't illegal. This is totally legal to do this. So, for example, you college students, did you know this? Every time you have to buy a new textbook, sometimes the textbook manufacturers will change minor things like just little numbers on the pages. So it forces people to buy a new textbook rather than using the same one that, that three or four or five, ten years have used. Did you know that? And textbooks are so cheap, right? It's just really easy to get. No, they're crazy. It's planned obsolescence. They even do this with your phone. Like if you have your phone... Uh, they will update your phone with software that they know your old phone can't handle in order to slow it down, in order to encourage you to buy a new phone. Not illegal. Not illegal in the United States. It is illegal in other countries. So, for example, in 2017, uh, the French government took Apple to court and sued them for this problem that they were having, that, that all the phones would slow down. And the French government won, and Apple was fined $27 million for planned obsolescence. They make $27 million every three hours. Every three hours. Because it's not illegal. We think in days, we think in weeks, we think in months, we think in years. God thinks in generations. God thinks in generations. I want to show you a couple verses. Genesis 17, 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. Between me and you and your descendants and after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Exodus chapter 20 verse 6. Showing love. This is God's talking about his character. Showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Or Psalm 33 11, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. But it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's not just a Hebrew Bible thing. It's a, it's a New Testament thing as well. This promise, Peter said, is for you and your children and all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, or Ephesians 3.21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And one of the things we've been studying a lot in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, God gives himself the name, who, was, who is, who was, and who is to come. He's a God of generations. And that's so important because we think in such short, small bursts, and God is thinking so much bigger. Last week, Steve made the case that God isn't just about Woodbury, and he's not just about Minnesota, he's not just about the U.S., but that he's a global God. And this week, I want to make the case that God isn't just about 2022, but that he's about 1958, and he's about 2054. God is thinking about the church in the future. He's thinking about it now, but he's also thinking about the church in 2054. In fact, this is kind of interesting to think about. In 2054, what will Woodbury look like? Well, Presley. <laughs> Presley will be 54 years old in 2054. He looks pretty good. He's still got his hat on backward in 2054 because he holds on to the fashion. I'm sure it'll have changed by then. I will actually be 77 in 2054. I look pretty good myself. I, uh, Steve will be 91 in 2054. I got a picture of him. <laughs> Actually, 
This is a true story, 100% true story. Steve will be a very healthy, spry 91-year-old. He's going to outlive all of us. I believe that uh, firmly. I just thought that might be funny. <laughs> but what, what is the church? What is our church going to look like in 2054? All those kids that we just sent down the hallway, they're going to be in their late 30s and 40s. They're going to be the ministry leaders. They're going to be the elders. Some of them are maybe going to be serving or working here at church. People that you have not even met yet are going to be working here. People that have not moved here, maybe people that haven't even been born yet are going to be filling the seats. There'll be different people, different rear ends in these chairs. Hopefully different chairs, by the way. But it's going to be, it's going to be totally, it's totally different. But God's not just thinking about us right now or us in the next few weeks or us in the next few months. He's thinking about generations ahead and he's preparing us and he's preparing Woodbury for generations ahead. Who is going to be being loved and supported and called out and challenged and rebuked? Who's going to be doing all those things in 2054? And God is concerned and thinking about all of that right now because God is a God of generations. God is a God of generations. Now, if that's true, if God is a God of generations, and it is, then you can participate in the future. It's kind of a cool thought, isn't it? If God is a God of generations, then you can participate in the future. I was reading about this church in Barcelona that is called La Sagrada Familia. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that 100% right. But this church is uh, unbelievably unique. Some people love it, some people hate it, uh, but it's unbelievably unique in the way that it's been designed. But they started working on this church in 1874, and it's not scheduled to be finished until 2026. That's why you see the cranes and everything up there. It's this incredibly intricate, ornate, elaborate structure and design. In fact, the construction of this church has been going on so long that they've had to rebuild portions of it so that they could continue the construction. It's been going on forever. Now the guy, the original architect that designed it, knew that he wasn't going to be alive to see it completed. And he was being interviewed in the newspaper one time saying, does that bother you that you're not going to see this finished? And this is, his quote was awesome. His quote was this. He said, my client is God and he is not in a hurry. I love that idea to think that, that we have this opportunity to invest in, in the church of the future, the church of 2030, the church of 2040, the church of 2050. But some of us get so focused on our little, little, little moment and how is this going to affect me that we neglect to think about what God, the God of generations, is doing in the world. 1 Corinthians 3.10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, Paul wrote, as a wise builder, but someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. 1 Corinthians 3.5, just a few verses earlier. What, after all, is Apollos? He's doing work. What is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe, as, as the Lord has assigned each his task, our little part, our little role. I've got my little thing. I'm laying a few bricks. I'm screwing in a few light bulbs. I'm driving the crane. I've got my little thing. I've got my little role to play. But God's thinking about the church now and the church in the future. But we're doing our little part. Working for the God of generations means building something that we won't see complete in our lifetime. It means contributing to something that we won't see complete in our lifetime. 
I was reading this week about the monarch butterfly. The monarch butterfly makes a 3,000 mile migration from Canada down to Mexico and back every year. So it's a 6,000 mile round trip. And it takes the monarch butterfly about two months to make this migration from Canada all the way down to this forest in Mexico where they hang out for the winter. Doesn't sound too bad. And then of course, another two months to get back up. So a four month journey in all. But a monarch butterfly lives about two to six weeks. So the grandparents take off from Canada, but they will never make it to Mexico. They're starting a journey that their grandchildren are going to have to complete. Isn't that wild to think about? Starting a journey that their grandchildren will have to complete because it's generations long. And do you understand for us, like, wow, two to six weeks, that doesn't sound very long. That's what God is looking down on us. We are starting journeys or we are completing tasks or we are pushing along projects that we won't see finished in our generation. And we have to understand that we serve this God who's a God of generations, that he's doing something so much bigger than we can imagine. But if we had selfish and we think it's just about this thing and my little time and my little moment and I just want it for me, then we're going to miss out on what God is doing because he's got a much bigger, much grander picture going on. King David gathered materials for a temple that he could not finish building. God said, I don't want you to build it. I want your son to build it. And so he gathered materials for Solomon to build the temple. A Abraham was given the promise of a vast family, but he only had two boys. It wasn't until his grandson that they finally saw this promise start to take off. But he was given the promise. I mean, God has done this throughout his, his, his scripture. When we lived in uh, small town Iowa, the congregation I served at there was a little bit of an older congregation, so there was a lot of hospital visits. That was part of the job is that you were visiting people in the hospital almost weekly. There was almost somebody who was hospitalized for something all the time. And so I was always up at the hospital visiting somebody, and uh, it was important. You know, that's, it was important to people to know that their thing was cared about and somebody was coming to say hi. One time I go in up to the hospital, visit this lady, and knock on the door, no answer, and you gotta be careful, but I peek in the room and she is out. She is fast asleep. And so I wait around in the hallway for about 15, 20 minutes, and I peek in the door again, she's out. I don't wanna wake her up, but I do one credit for having come visited her. <laughs> so my genius solution was to go into the room, and you know that whiteboard that's on the wall? I thought, well, I'll just write a nice little note. Hey praying for you, thinking about you, uh, you know, I was here, we're, we've got your back, and then sign it, Patrick. And then I, I leave, you know, thinking, oh, she'll wake up and she'll have a nice little note from Patrick, no big deal. I come back to visit her about a week later, and this time she's awake, and I walk into the room, and my note is still on that whiteboard. That's where they keep the nurses' names and, you know, particular medical things, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You've seen that. My note is still on that board, and I'm like, oh, wow. This, I, my note meant so much that they didn't erase it. It was so meaningful and thoughtful and earnest that they didn't wipe it off. That's so wonderful. There happened to be a nurse in the room. And she goes, are you Patrick? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And I'm thinking, she's thinking, you are just such a wonderful young minister. You really care for the people in your congregation. And this is what she said to me. She said, hey, you wrote on the whiteboard in permanent marker. <laughs> 
But the reality is that like the stuff that we do, the co contributions that we make, the, the encouragement that we give, those things are happening in permanent marker in the church. God is using encouragement that you might give to somebody when they're a child. The Pray For Me campaign, those of you that are praying and caring for our teenagers, that might be something that pays fruit generations from now. Because something that you said or something that you did carried with them throughout their adulthood. You guys can all think of things or compliments or something somebody said to you when you were a kid that you've carried with you. Hopefully it was good. Some of you can think of some bad things people have said that you've struggled with your entire life, that you've carried with you on permanent marker in your heart. You have the opportunity to play a role in the future because God is a God of generations. It's so important. We serve a God of generations. We can participate in the future, and that future starts now. But the handoff is crucial. The handoff is crucial. Over the last generation, the U.S. men and women's 4x100 relay teams in the Olympics have been terrible. They've been terrible. And the problem is, is that individually, the athletes that populate those relay teams are some of the best in the world, some of the fastest in the world, regularly win world championships individually. But when they bring this group together to run the relay, they are awful. Since I think it's 1998, they've had 12 medals and 11 disqualifications. This is just the men's team. 11 disqualifications. It happens almost every year. It happened in July at the World Championships in Eugene, Oregon. It happened again. The fastest guys, the most well-trained, the most athletic guys that we have to put in that relay, and they cannot make it happen because they're constantly fumbling the handoff. They can't get that stupid baton from one person to the next. They only have about, you know, 30 feet to do it in, and they're running super fast, and I can understand, but this is the problem. They can't figure it out. And so other nations who train at this piece of it, who aren't as fast as these guys, they beat us because they're training at that handoff. They're making sure that then when they come into that lane, that, that baton gets to the other guy. Because if you drop it, you're done. That's it. You're out. There's no chance. Or if you fumble it and you slow down, well, you're going you're gonna to lose to guys that, are, that have taken off past you. They can't pass the baton. You can be the best individually, but if you can't make the handoff, it doesn't really do you much good. You can be the most dedicated thoughtful, kind, generous, warm person, but if you can't take that and pass it to the next generation and it dies with you, what, what good does that do? Unless you can make this handoff from one generation to the next, and that's why it's so stupid that we disparage of the next generation. How does that help anybody? If you think there's a problem with the next generation, well, then do something about it. Don't just sit back and say, millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha. I don't know. They keep making up names. And by the way, we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. If you're like annoyed with the previous generation, well, they didn't run fast enough. They didn't run far enough. Well, then do something about it. Appreciate the contributions they made, but you can do something. You don't have to be like, oh, boomers, they're the worst. It's awful. I can't stand them. I can't stand that generation. 
Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. This is such an important passage setting up the context of Judges. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. This was the generation that had come out of the, of, of, uh, the wilderness. They'd been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They didn't know. And what happened? Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. That handoff never happened. And it takes both parties to make it happen. But the handoff never happened, and a whole generation rose up. And you could sit back and say, well, it was the old folks' problem, or it was the young folks' problem. Doesn't do you any good. The handoff is crucial. It takes both parties. And here's, here's an important truth. All of us, all of us benefit from other people's faithfulness. You benefited from someone else's faithfulness, whether it was their generosity. I mean, you're sitting in a building that maybe you didn't have any part of, of building. Um, you're, you're, part, you're part of a legacy that someone else handed off to you. Maybe it was your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. But we all benefit from other people's faithfulness. And it's not, it's not turning a blind eye. I mean, it's not saying that a generation before there weren't problems or things that needed to be fixed or things that needed to be addressed. But we've got to recognize, what well, we're standing on something that we didn't build, that, that we didn't create. We inherited we inherited from the faithfulness of people before us, but we have got the responsibility of taking that baton and passing it on to someone else. God is a God of generations. You can participate in the future, but that handoff is crucial. It is critical. I'm at a, an age in my life where I have to think about retirement, and some of you are like, yeah, you're well past that age. You should be thinking about retirement when you're 18 years old, starting those Roth IRAs, I know, I get it. But I'm at an age where I'm like, oh, I can start counting like when those kinds of things need to ha happen. And so I, every once in a while, I'll see some like retirement advice and I'm like, oh, well, I got to pay attention to that because at some point in my life, I mean, not in the not too distant future, I'm going to need that advice. And so I was reading this, this piece of retirement advice and they were talking about how some people thrive in retirement. You know, you've seen that. You've seen people just, just take off in retirement and you've seen other people shrivel and just wither away and they die. They just can't handle it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They just can't handle the lack of work or the lack of purpose or whatever it is. And so this advice was saying, hey, part of the problem is, is that people feel like they matter when they have a job or a career or something they work for. And when they move past that, they just don't feel like they matter anymore. And they just sort of sit in their chair and get less and less healthy and they stop using any muscles and the heart start, you know, and they just, that's it. They just can't handle not working. They can't handle not having that purpose. And so what they said that you need to do is you need to create a life that has meaning both before you retire and after you retire that continues to have meaning. That's good advice. It seems like good advice. I don't think it goes far enough. I think what we need to do is we need to create a life that has meaning during our lifetime, but then also has meaning beyond our lifetime, that has meaning after we die. We may not get the credit for it. It's not about a plaque on the wall. It's not about having a building named after us, but it's about giving the next generation an opportunity to be successful because of the sacrifices that we've made and being grateful for the sacrifices that a generation before us have made. An opportunity to matter after our life. 
It's like the advice that they give uh, actors, right? There, there are no small roles, only small actors. There are no small roles, taking out the trash, sweeping a floor, teaching a kid's class. There are no small roles in the church. There's only small Christians who don't understand the part that they're playing in building something that will last generations. Years ago, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with this, but years ago, um, Karina and I were on vacation in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. And uh, I know everybody thinks when you're in Cabo San Lucas, you should always find a church to go to on Wednesday nights because that's what people do. Well, that's what we did. We found a ch- place that we wanted to go to church on Wednesday night and we met these wonderful Christians. And in the part of the conversation, one of the Christians was sharing a story about one of their members, or a couple of their members, that just stuck with me. And I think about it all the time. It was this family that had nine sons. Nine sons. Eight of the sons worked really hard, manual labor jobs, and all eight of those sons contributed so that they could afford to send the youngest son to college. And he would be the first person in their family that had been able to do that because of the sacrifice of the older eight. And I think about that idea all the time. We all wanna be the youngest son that gets that role, but sometimes we're called to be those older brothers who sacrifice for the blessings of someone else. And, and, And those blessings in turn bless us, but I think about that idea of like, what is it, what is it that I can do What is it that I can do, even in a small way, to set someone in a future generation up for success? I love that. How can I work hard to make sure that the people coming behind me are successful? Parents, you know this. I think this is true. Maybe not. But a lot of us parents, we get get a little confused when we're raising our kids about what really matters. Occasionally, right? We start to think it's grades that are really important. And we push our kids to get good grades. Got to get good grades, got to get a good scholarship, got to get a good degree, right? We, pu- we push our kids to do that. Or we think it's athletics that's really important because, hey, if they do good in you know, athletics, maybe they'll get a good scholarship, maybe they'll get a good degree. Who knows? Maybe they'll be a professional, you know, baseball player someday. Who knows, right? So we push our kids to do that. But at the end of the day, we know, we know none of that matters, right? All we want for our kids is for them to be better followers of Jesus than we were. When you pray for your children, do you pray that they're going to have a huge contract in professional sports? No. You don't, you don't care about that. You pray that they're a follower of Jesus, a faithful, dedicated follower of Jesus, and you work toward that, right? And that's what you want. I believe that. I believe that's what most of you want. Well, what can we do to make sure that's true, not just for our kids, but for our grandkids, or not just for our children, but for other people's children? How can we contribute to the future because we serve a God who is a God of generations?